Okay, Ephesians 5, 6, sorry. We're getting back to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6 really should start at verse 10. Chapter 5 should finish at what is 6 verse 9. Because this passage comes in the middle of a whole section where Paul is applying this statement. Be filled with the Spirit, and then it goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and spake, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. We understand that. That's Spirit-filled worship and thanksgiving, being thankful for all things. And, but the end of that statement is submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And even those who know to worship by the Spirit and sing in tongues and so on, don't always, don't we, we don't always get on with this bit. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then there are three ways in which that is spelled out. We'll come to that in a minute. The other headline from the beginning of the summer, and before the summer really heated up, is this phrase. Humility comes before honor. You have to humble yourself to be exalted. You are, you know, we looked at that phrase, I know it was a revelation of some people, that's something. I too said the centurion to Jesus, I'm a man under authority. I know you're under authority and I recognize that because I'm a man under authority. You have great authority, he was saying to Jesus, because you've received that authority from the Father. Humility comes before honor. So, three groups, three pairings here that the Scriptures talk about in Ephesians 5 into chapter 6. Firstly, wives and husbands. Wives are not inferior to husbands or women to men. But wives are to honor their husbands and husbands are to honor and nurture their wives. But both are primarily to honor the Lord. Then children. Children are not inferior to parents. And parents are not superior to children. But children are to honor their parents and parents are to honor and nurture their children, but both do so in the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to dumb down the word fear. Let it stand. It says fear. That's the highest respect, in the fear of the Lord. But today we're looking at this. Employees. Employees are not inferior to their employers. And employers are not superior to their employees. Employees are to honor their employers, and employers are to honor their employees, but both are doing so primarily in the honor and fear of the Lord. Now, these scriptures here are talking particularly to Christian employees and employers. We'll come to that in a moment. Let me make this statement again that sums up these, the, the, the fact that in scripture, it, it, some scriptures emphasize our equality, and some specifically deal with our differences. And some people want to dumb down one or dumb down the other. I, I believe we need to hold both. Yeah. So here's my statement to you yet again. We are equal in value and in dignity, but different in role. That applies to male and female, husbands and wives, children and parents, and employees and employees. Equal in value, equal in dignity, but different in role. So I appreciate, I'm not talking about the husbands and wives and the children and parents. You'll need to go and dig out the, 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 the online messages on those. But if you want the notes, just ask me and I'll print some for you. Today we're looking at that last pairing, employees and employers. Employees, honour your employers 
in the Lord. Let's go to the scripture. Ephesians 6. Slaves. I'll, I'll, I'll work, deal with the word slaves. But let's just think, this will work us to them. Obey your human masters with fear and trembling. In sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, as if serving Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men. But as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Now, Ephesians and Colossians are very parallel letters, so I'm going to take the parallel here from Colossians. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you'll receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. In other words, not them, really. You serve him. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Peter also makes a comment on this. And let me just read to you from Peter. 1 Peter 2.13, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil, and to praise those who do good. It's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honour everyone. That's, that is, everyone, every human being. Love the brotherhood, your fellow Christians. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Household slaves, submit with all fear to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. For it brings favour, if mindful of God's will, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it? But if when you do what is good you suffer and you endure it, this brings favour with God. Now the language in the scripture series of slaves and masters, because that was the way it worked in New Testament times. Almost all employees back then, when this letter was written, were slaves. That was their, what they were called. But many were not actually people who'd been captured and traded, but they'd either sold themselves into work for a master or had grown up in that working class in the Roman Empire. Born into the servant class, you were a servant. You could be raised out of it, you could be promoted, you could be adopted and become another part of the class in that society. But what you were born into is what you can do. Listen, the world didn't stop being like that until pretty recently, to be honest. Yeah? Going back even to the First World War, I know my class, I know my station. You know, people didn't move outside of what they were born into. But even though slaves were the, quotes working class, many of them, in fact, were the management class because they ran everything. Their rich owners didn't lift a finger. Let me just give you an example of that. Joseph... Old Testament was sold into slavery. He's brought down to Egypt. He's working in the house of a man called Potiphar. And guess what? Before long, he's in charge of everything. Potiphar only turned up for his meals. Joseph ran the household. And so again and again, throughout that Old Testament and New Testament period, slaves were often the managers. They ran things. They had full stewardship responsibilities for whole households and for businesses. So when we talk about slavery here, it's not like the 
terrible Atlantic African slave trade of, a, of fairly recent times until the middle of the 1800s. Or of what continued in America since that time. It's not quite like that. It, could, it was in parts, but it wasn't altogether like that. Now, of course, we are opposed in every way to human slavery. And historically, it's been Christians who've been opposed and, and, in fact, ended slavery. All we need to do here to apply these scriptures, update them to ourselves, is simply assume workers and bosses or employers and employees, and the principles still apply. Okay? Got me? Don't get hung up on it. talks about slaves. That was then. It's not applied now. But actually, we still have a worker-boss divide. And it's more severe in now than ever in my lifetime. If you could have said to me when I was an 18, 20-year-old going into the workplace in different ways, uh, by the time you're in your 60s, David, it'll be like this. I go, no, never. Come off it. But it is. The, peop the people are given zero-hour contracts? Mm -hmm. What? That was unimaginable at the end of my teens and early 20s. Unimaginable. And people doing gig, gig economy and so on. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a minute. What does Scripture say to employees? Oh, sorry. It was on the screen. I didn't read it to you. <laughs> what Scripture says there to employees, to sum it up, is obey your human masters or bosses with sincerity of heart. Don't be two-faced. Serve with a good attitude. Do it out of reverence to Christ. You, you don't really feel like honoring them. Fine, honor Christ and do it. Put on the good attitude. Don't only being watched in order to please men. Work as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart, in your work, in your workplace. Serving the Lord and not men, knowing your reward is from him. I need to say a word or two about work. Um, I could say it's a four-letter word, but that could be kind of misconstrued. Work is not the result of sin. It's not the result of sin. I need to take you back to Genesis. God created work for us and for our well-being. It's part of his blessing in creation. Here, in the beginning, before the fall, before you get to chapter 3, in chapter 2, read this, please. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it. He was a gardener. He was a landscape gardener. He was a plant attender. He was working it. It wasn't finished. If Eden wasn't finished, it, wouldn't be, it would have been finished when Adam did his work or it would have been maintained and beautiful as Adam did his work. Work existed before the fall and it was blessed. And it was good for him. And God knew that. He was placed in the Garden of Eden to work it and to superintend it, to watch over it. Eden was not a finished perfection. It was a work in progress. Absolutely. Amen. The, and God gave Adam a role to bring it to maturity, to completion. Adam had work. But when Adam sinned, his work became cursed and became burdensome and hard. The same is true of Eve, and that producing children became literally hard labor. 
Part of the goodness and providence of God was and is providing work for men. So to be unemployed without purposeful engagement of mind and body, I'm not talking about paid work, but work, for most of each week is to be out of sync with God's order. And we shouldn't be surprised, therefore, how much stress and distress unemployment causes to, to people. Benefits can ensure that people have a home and are fed, but unemployment is in itself a sickness within a society. It erodes, it eats away at the foundations because it brings people to frustration, to poverty, to depression, to loss of personal value and purpose. Now some people say, of course, when we get to heaven, there's no work there. Well, heaven's a temporary place before we get the new heaven and the new earth and we inhabit a, a recreated universe. You understand that? We'll be physical beings in a physical universe. We're not going to be disembodied spirits. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but there will be work in the future. You see, when, uh, there isn't time to go into all the parables that Jesus told, but he talks about work, doesn't he, in his parables. And here's the punchline, folks. If you're responsible with what you have now, you'll have more responsibility then. If you do well now, you'll be given more to do then. But you'll enjoy it. You will love it. You'll be thrilled by it. You will not be without work. We will not doll around all day springing hops. <laughs> and all those other silly things you see in cartoons and paintings, and like those horrible little babies with wings on in heaven. <laughs> you know? Weird. There will be work in the world to come. Idleness is not the order of the kingdom. All right. So we should work here now if we can. I appreciate the illness and other things come into it. We should work if we can, find work. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, having reminded them of his own example of hard work, that a person who will not work should not eat. 1 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. I mean, you've had that in the workplace, haven't you? What are you doing? How's that going then? Just leave me alone. I need to do it. Interfering with the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a strong statement. We command and exhort you by the name of the Lord Jesus, that quietly working, they may eat their own food. Brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. We should all work if we can. Now there's retirement when you've finished your work, but even then, you need, to, you need to have something to fill your days with. You need some engagement. You need something to do to get out of bed and get on with, don't you? Yes. Yeah, of course you do. And we should work well. Whatever it is, we should do it well. That's what Scripture says. It's a Christian's duty to do a good day's work at our job. We're not to be clock watchers. We're not to be time wasters. We're not to slack off when the boss is not around. Why? Because we're not actually accountable to them, but to the Lord. He, the Lord, sees not only application to our work, but our attitude of hearts too. And these scriptures talk about our attitude. Doing it wholehearted, doing it sincerely. Because the Lord is our rewarder and promoter. Another little word on work. We're to take rest from work. Remember the Sabbath? We're not... Sabbatarians in the sense that we say Saturday's holy or Sunday's holy. We're not that kind of Sabbatarian. But Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. 
not man from the Sabbath. The principle of the Sabbath was man didn't work more than six days a week. He had a whole day of rest from his work. And he was with his family and he was able to have a conversation with his children. You know? It was a principle that you rested one day in seven. It's an important principle. That is the Sabbatarianism which every one of us needs to hold on to. We're not working all the time. It isn't 24-7. We take rest. And we spend time with people who matter to us. We're to take rest from work. So we move on now from him. Employees, I'll come back to you in a minute, to the employers, the bosses. Employers are to honour their employees in the Lord. Now, this is about Christian employers, but, you know, let's face it, other employers need to wise up as well. Here it is in Ephesians 6. Masters, treat your slaves. Bosses, treat your workers the same way. What same way? We'll come back to that in a minute. The same way we just read. Without threatening them. Because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. This is to Christians who employ others, whether full-time or temporarily. In fact, many of us employ people we don't even think about. Maybe you've got someone who comes and, and does some cleaning, uh, like the windows, window cleaner. A lot of people have a window cleaner. How do we treat the people who do stuff for us? Even if it's only they're working for half an hour or an hour. How do we treat the people who do stuff for us? We're to treat them with respect. In the same way, the instruction applies. Christian employers are to treat their employers in the same way. So, they're to entreat their employees, people who work for them, with sincerity of heart, being honest and upfront with good attitude, with reverence to Christ, to to recognize that the person who's working for them is their fellow believer and a co-servant of Christ. There's equality as well as difference of role. There's dignity which must be respected. Doing God's will from the heart, without coercion, without pressure, without threatening, without abuse. There's something, you know that the human heart is wicked, don't you? And the minute you get some authority over somebody, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to show them. We lord it. Well, you won't get away with that for too long. God will soon slap you down somewhere along the way. But we all, it's a tendency in every human heart. I've, I'm, I've, I've got, I'm, you know, I can look down on them. Like the old skit on TV, you know. He's working class, he's middle class, I'm upper class, I look down on them. You know, and they were actually three different heights, these guys, who so were talking about it. I don't even remember that. Knowing that we're accountable to him, we're to honour our fellow Christian employee, everyone who works for us, not be threatening, not be abusive, not be, uh, you know, uh, over, overwhelming, can't think of the word. Overbearing, thank you, Carol. In addition to treating with respect, we should also pay fair wages. Here's the Colossians parallel. In Colossians it says, Masters, supply your workers with what is right and fair. Supply them with what is right and fair. Since you know that you too have a master in heaven. 
The person who withholds fair wages from those who've worked for him is not acting as a Christian. It is a profoundly unchristian thing not to pay a fair wage to someone who's worked for you. How little can I get away with paying them? Is a profoundly unchristian way of thinking. I know it's the way the world works now, but we're not of the world. Someone once said that we can pray on Sundays and pray on our neighbours the rest of the week. If we don't pay attention to being taught from Scripture. The Lord himself will hold accountable those who enrich themselves by withholding what is due to others, paying a fair day's hours, whatever it is, rate of pay. That was declared through the law and the prophets of the people of Judah and Israel. And I've given you in the notes some footnotes there. You can look those up. But here's James, picks up the words of the law and the prophets and applies them again. James kind of knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Come now, says James, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming on you. These preachers, these, I mean, this is New Testament preaching. I mean, it's like, they're fierce, man. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten, or they're going to be. Your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in these last days, in, these, in the age of, the, of, of grace. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You've fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. He's comparing them to, fat, to fattened cows. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Fair work in return for fair pay conditions. That seems to have gone out of fashion in recent decades, but those are biblical Christian values. They're not socialism. Biblical Christian values. Commanded in the law. Do not withhold a, a, a man's pay. Give it to him at the end of the day. Don't keep it till the next morning. Pay him for his day. Let him go home with the money. Commanded in the law. Expecting people to work for little or nothing is, listen to me, fraud, theft, abuse, and oppression. Expecting people to work for next to nothing. And sometimes I've seen Christians do it to fellow Christians. They want mates rates. They expect to be done favours and not pay a workman for his day, for his wage. I've fallen out with some of those people. Seriously, I, there's one or two people in recent years I have fallen out with because of the way they have dealt with their fellow Christians. Scripture declares that the employer who owns homes, yachts and artworks, while those who work for them struggle to make their way through life, will answer to God for that. They are accountable for it. You fed well while they were going down the food bank. Had a job but couldn't afford to live. They'll answer for that. For both Christian employees and employers, the primary objective, though, is to honour the Lord. To honour the Lord. Now we honour the Lord in the way we handle one another, which should be on the basis of respect and dignity. Equal in value, 
equal in dignity, different in role. It's a paradox, but we have to handle that. But honouring the Lord comes down back as well to how we handle money. See, whether you're an employer or an employee, you, you, you're handling money, and you're handling money as your income. Well, how do you do that? What do you do with it? Well, when we receive our pay, our income, we are to honour the Lord. Our attitude towards the income we receive matters. Do we say in our hearts when the money hits the bank account, that's mine, I earned it. Or do we say, thank you, Lord, for your provision? Attitude makes all the difference. It's true, you earned the income. But you did so because the Lord allowed and enabled you to do so. Because yes, all it takes is a sickness. The Lord preserved you and empowered you to go and earn that income. This is the warning the Lord spoke by Moses to the people of Israel as at the end of 40 years in the wilderness were ending, they were about to enter into and take possession of their promised land. Deuteronomy 8.17 You may say to yourself, yourself isn't such a good translation, it's literally in your heart. You may say in your heart, no one's listening to it but God, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember, that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is this day. The reason you're able to earn a good living is because God gave you the yes. ability to earn yes. it. Yes. And gave you the health to go to work. Yeah. And ordered your steps in your work. But we're, we're never more than a step away from that attitude of heart. It's my money. I earn. What we say in our hearts matters because it is heard by the Lord. And what we say in our hearts also matters because as those attitudes shape our actions. The heart directs the feet and the hands. So we, we act out what we are inwardly thinking. So how we handle money really is a heart issue because it reveals the attitude of our hearts. Whose money is it anyway? By the way, that's a, that's a John MacArthur book, but there's lots, of, there's lots of people written books called Whose Money Is It Anyway? Lots of preachers have preached sermons, Whose Money Is It Anyway? I want you to listen to how David prayed. Uh, King David, before he died, organized a great collection for the temple to be built, this physical house of the Lord. We don't live in a physical house of the Lord. We are a community house of the Lord. We are, a, we are a household rather than a house building in the new covenant. But this was a physical building, the house of the Lord, the temple. And when they made this huge offering collection that was more than enough to build it, this is how David prayed. May you be praised, Lord God of our Father Israel, from eternity to eternity. I've missed out a verse here. Have I? Yes, I have. Verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory 
and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Lord, yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted head above all. Verse 12, sorry, should have checked it. Riches and honor come from you. And you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and therefore any power or might that comes into my hand is from his hand. Any ability, any wisdom, any skill comes from him. And it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. For who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? I think he's looking at a whole heap of goods and coins and money and fabrics. And Who are we that we should be able to do this? For everything comes from you. Uh, oh, listen to this friend, phrase, my friends. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Yeah. See, we can give in times and often think, I'm giving. I'm only giving what came from him. Skip a verse and it goes down. Yahweh our God. All this wealth that we've provided for building your house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart. Even in that offering, maybe some people gave to show off, to be seen to give. Just maybe. But David acknowledges, Lord, you test the heart. You know what's going on. And you're pleased with what is right. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart. And now I've seen your people who are present here give joyfully and willingly to you. Our income is from the Lord who gives us the strength to earn it. We're sustained in life by his covenant goodness and faithfulness. So we honor the Lord with an attitude of heart, with gratitude and thanksgiving, and by devoting the first portion, first fruits, tithe, back to the Lord. We can then bring offerings and contribute to collections. Let me just give you those principles of Christian giving. It's far too small. Okay, four things there. These are Old Testament principles which, which are carried forward into the New Testament because actually Paul in his letters mentions them, each one of these. First fruits. We bring back to the Lord the first part of what is provided to us. The first part. It's like firstborn, first fruits, the first fruits on the tree, the first grain in the field, the first child or animal that's born. is dedicated back to God. Why? Because he gave it all, the first belongs to him. It's, so it's the first payment, not the last. It's not what's left over, it's, it's the first payment. And then tithe, because it is a proportion that we should give. It's a proportion. We give to the Lord a proportion of our income. We measure it out as a proportion. It's not just a bit, it's not just whatever's in the wallet. It's a, it's a proportion. And 10% is a good base from his example before the law by Abraham and by his family, and it's fiercely argued by Paul in Hebrews that even, even the Levites tithed because they were in, in Abraham. So even people who later on received tithes, tithe in Abraham. I don't, 
you know, since I might, as a pastor, kind of, I live from the income of the church and I'm paid a salary, you can say, well, you'll pay tithes, well, I tithe. I tithe. Then there are offerings or collections, and those are interchangeable. We give together to make something happen. Community together. Like they, this, this, this temple offering was a big heap offering. They brought it in, piled it all up. So we could say together, we want to make this happen. So we give to that, over and above what we're already giving. It's a collection, it's an offering. It's an offering made to God, it's a collection together for a purpose. And so those two things work interchangeably. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 7, 8 and 9, as we looked at that the other week, that Paul was raising a collection to take to Jerusalem to feed and support the saints in Judea. And the, the Gentile churches were making this collection. But as they gave, he honored them for their what? For their offering. They were doing it to the Lord. So their offering was also a collection for the saints. That's how it works. And then there's arms, where we, we put our hand in our pocket to support the needy or to charitable causes. You know, it's, it's whatever cash we have at a particular time. Someone asks us for help, we help them. We give to Barnabas Fund, wherever else. You know, that, that, that's, that's the, it's kind of the small change of life in a way. It's, a, it's the five pound a month you're not going to miss being given to some charity, whatever. That's, that's, that's arms, giving to the needy. And we should do that over and above tithes and offerings. Those are the principles of giving I've taught all my life. See, Karen, I seek to live by them. Let me come back to this. Summarize what David said in that prayer. Because it, 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 it challenges me deeply. Who am I that I should be able to give as generously as this? Oh, I've got a tithe. No. Who am I that I should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you. And I have given you only what comes from your own hand. Everything belongs to you. All that we've looked at here today again is applying Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. We honor one another because we primarily, primarily honor Christ. And it's because we want to honor him that we work out these other relationships and the way we handle people and the way we handle income and money because we want to honor him. We each have our role and responsibility, wife to husband, husband to wife, child to parent, parent to child, employee to employer, employer to employee. And we're to honor one another in those different roles. But we're to honor all people Show family affection to one another with brotherly love, but particularly to one another, the fellowship of the saints. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then pay your obligations to everyone. A Christian should only, not only not evade and avoid tax, and they, but we should, pay, we should willingly pay our taxes. Why? Because we owe a duty of care to others. If the government misuse it, that's their responsibility, not mine. But taxes are supposed to pay so old people get care and children get care and, 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 and the NHS runs. And, 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 and yeah, That's why we're supposed to pay our taxes, people, for the common good. Pay your obligation to everyone. Taxes to those who owe taxes. You owe taxes too, in other words. Tolls to those you owe tolls. <laughs> Darfur Bridge. Respect to those you owe respect and honour to those you honour. We honour all people because they're our fellow citizens. 
We share the same humanity. We are neighbors in the same neighborhood, the same world. But we honor our fellow Christians even more. For they are our brothers and sisters in the same family of God. They're co-heirs of the same kingdom of God. My brother or sister is one for whom Christ died, Paul argues. They too are temples of the Holy Spirit. I have to have a higher regard for my fellow Christian than even the rest of humanity. But above all, we're to honour the Lord, who is our Redeemer, our Father, our Sustainer, our Helper, our Provider. How we handle honour towards others and how we handle money and income are directly connected to how we honour Him in and from our hearts. You can argue against it, but that's what Scripture says. They're linked. Attitudes become actions. You're harboring an attitude towards a your boss or your workmate, whatever, it'll come up. And humility comes before honor. I want to ask, say this to you, those of you in the workplace. A lot of us are going to work tomorrow morning. Let me put it this way. Is your time at work this, going to be, this week going to be wasted or even resented? See, the Lord sends you to your work. By the way, who you work for is your choice. You, you, you know, it's a commercial contract. You're perfectly entitled to go and find a better job for better pay. You're very welcome. You know, I'm not saying you're tied to your employer. Don't misunderstand me. We live in a commercial world and you, 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 you're in a contract of employment and that's what you do and that's what you get paid. And if you can do better, find a better job, go ahead. You're free to do it. Yeah? But whatever place you go to work tomorrow, what is your attitude in going? Because your attitude can make a whole heap of difference. Let me remind you of this. The Lord sends you to your workplace tomorrow, wherever it is, whatever it is, as his child, as his representative, as a citizen of heaven, as an, as an ambassador, an emissary of the gospel, as one who carries even into a place which is perhaps full of wickedness and backbiting and all kinds of stuff, you carry the reign of grace into that environment. Mm. Is that a noble task? Mm. Is that worth waking up to? Mm. Wow. God's got you there to be different and make a difference. Mm. Not just to put your head down and earn your money and scarf at home. Attitude makes all the difference. And these scriptures point at the very heart level of how we work and why we work. And who are we working for? Because the answer is not the NHS, not the local government. We're working for the Lord. And if you're a Christian employer, you've had a hard enough time for me this morning already. Just go and think about this. James is even harder on you than I would have been. Let me ask this as well, and then we're going to break bread, because the youngsters won't be coming out. They went out late as well. Maybe someone here this morning, you, you, you're still thinking about this business of being a Christian. Have you even begun to live in God's ways, being taught and led by the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you how it starts. This is a bit of a kind of like maybe a bit of an advanced lesson in how to be a Christian in the workplace. 
Okay, but I'll tell you how to start today, right now. It starts with coming to the Lord Jesus. It starts with putting your trust in him and stating you're trusting him. It's called faith, but don't be put off by that word. It means you believe in him, you trust him, and you ask him to accept you and forgive you for the life you have lived until now and to help you to live a new life from now on. It's a life exchange, folks. It's not just this bit of this life you have a little bit patched up and a little bit fixed here and there. It's a life exchange. It's what the cross was about. The old life, the old you, was put on the cross with Jesus. So that just as Jesus rose from the dead, you could live a new life trusting him. It's a life exchange. And if you want to buy into that life exchange, you need to ask him right now. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Some of us may need, need a thought a moment or two to think about work. I don't want to think about, no, 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 seriously, think about work and think about how you're going to work and, and, and ask the Lord to write some of these things in your heart because like I put on the newsletter yesterday, God gathers us together in, in his household to, so that we may learn his ways so we walk in them. That means we go and do it. So just humble your heart and say, Lord, show me, teach me. I, I need to walk these things out. I need to get these things into, into practice. I can't advise you how to do that in your workplace. He'll tell you about this book. Okay. But for one or two, maybe, why don't you right now say, Lord Jesus, I, I do believe that you're there. I believe you went to the cross and you rose again. I do ask you today to call an end on my old way of living and to give me a new way of living, which is, bound, right, which is all about following you, learning how to live as you show me, walking in your steps. Help me, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. It's about real life. My, my goodness, it's about real life. This is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is not daydream stuff. This is about tomorrow, even today. How we live, how we get through life, begrudgingly or overcomingly, drudgingly or cheerfully. Lord Jesus, you promised us that we would, through trusting you, have life and life to the full. Uh, for some of us, perhaps, we're just missing with that. We're not allowing that truth to be carried with us into our workplace or into other situations. We expect it to be hard and difficult and drudge, and yet you want us to carry your blessing. The sense of being the blessed children of God, even into those places. Awaken our hearts. Remind us of these things, Father, we pray. By the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cram a lot in one morning. Let's take time to break bread because they're going to take a while to come in anyway. So, did you? Four people have been kind of asked to.
come and help us. We're going to put some music on on the back there. Colin and June are going to help us. And uh, please do come out and get the bread and the wine, crackers and the grape juice and share in communion with someone yet again. Before our, in our hands and before our eyes, we identify with the Jesus who was crucified for us and rose again to give us new life. Bread, broken body. Grape juice, wine, shed blood. Signs of the covenant by which we are sealed to God through Christ. Not just this morning, not just in this moment, but for the whole of our lives. We, we don't escape from the boundaries of his covenant or of his blessing. We just forget about it and then we don't do so well. But let's, let's embrace again this covenant of grace that God has made with us through his son as we break bread together. Thank you. Thanks.